You don't need to see the perfect vision of how your life's going to work out. If you feel an inkling inside of something that you want to do that might be interesting to you, that might be fun, just take a step in that direction. You find that the other steps sort of appear, you know, after taking that first step. Welcome to the Be It Till You See It podcast, where we talk about taking messy action, knowing that perfect is boring. I'm Leslie Logan, Pilates instructor and fitness business coach. I've trained thousands of people around the world, and the number one thing I see stopping people from achieving anything is self-doubt. My friends, action brings clarity, and it's the antidote to fear. Each week, my guests will bring bold, executable, intrinsic, and targeted steps that you can use to put yourself first and be it till you see it. It's a practice, not a perfect. Let's get started. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for pressing play on this podcast today. You could be listening to anything and you chose to listen to this, which tells me that you are wanting so much to make yourself the priority in your life. And that is awesome. Today's guest is, um, well, I just can't even wait to get into it, but um, his name is Robert Mack and his story is nothing short of incredible and inspiring, but full of so many tips. Like when Robert and I were talking, he's like, I like to speak in bullet points. I'm like, I love that bullet points means like you can do it too. Like it's like you can, you can take these tips and, and add them to your life. And I'm really, really excited before um, I tell you more about this interview and Robert, I do want to let you know. But this episode does deal with suicide. Um, and because of that, I really want to make sure it's important that you know that there are resources out there. If you are someone who is having, or you know, someone who has suicidal thoughts, um, you need, and you are looking for some support and help with that, please check out suicidepreventionlifeline.org or call 800-273-8255, 800-273-8255. In my fitness business coaching group, I say something, I say it on Instagram daily too, and it's so important. I say it, I repeat it all the time because it's important for people to hear it over and over and over again. I want to share that with you. You are the only person who can do what you do the way that you do that. So please know that. Okay. So when you're making excuses as to why you shouldn't do the thing that you're wanting to do or make time for yourself or you're feeling a little bit selfish, I need you to remember you're the only one. And that is amazing. So um, Robert Mack's full bio is in the show notes. Please check it out because I mean, he has gone from Philadelphia to Miami. Now he's in Santa Monica and the journey in there, we talk a bit about it in the interview, but you really are going to want to see who he studied with and where he got these brilliant thoughts um, that he shares with you. Um, but just a brief little intro is Robert is an Ivy League educated positive psychology expert. Yeah. Uh-huh. Positive psychology expert. He's a celebrity happiness coach, executive coach, and he's an author. He is one of the world's leading experts on relationship between happiness and success, which is why I wanted to have him here today. Um, he's also been endorsed by Oprah. I mean, enough said. <laughs> you can just keep listening, right? You're like, I'm ready. Let's go. Um, Vanessa Williams and many others. And he has been seen on Good Morning America, The Today Show, Access Hollywood, E, Own, GQ, Self, Help, Health, Cosmopolitan, and Glamour, just to name a few. In the show notes, you're going to check out not just only see his amazing bio, but you'll also see he has a book, Happiness Inside and Out. And I we talk about it briefly in the interview. And I just know that after this interview, you're going to be reading it because. Um, when you hear his story of how he was born 
unhappy. And now he is a happiness coach. Um, I just think that that means even if you're sitting here today, listening to this, feeling a little bit like every day is another unhappy day. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. So, uh, we'll be right back with the full interview with Robert Mack, um, right after this message. As you know, you cannot fit you in around everything else. Instead, I have my students schedule their life around their Pilates. I want to give you a free 30-minute Pilates workout. Go to onlinepilatesclasses.com slash beitpod. Again, onlinepilatesclasses.com slash B-E-I-T-P-O-D. And let me help you make time for you. At OPC, our 30-minute workouts help you do life better. All right. Okay, everyone, I am so honored, like truly honored to bring our next guest uh, into your ears today. This is Rob Mack, uh, Robert Mack. You'll find him on Instagram and all the things. I met him through a friend at an event um, virtually, and his story is just one that I had to make sure you heard because it absolutely... Like it shows so many different times that he was being it before he saw it. And I know that to be true uh, from these things. And I can't wait to share our stories. We're going to have a great conversation and you're going to hear some awesome things. And so, Rob, will you tell everyone who you are, where you're from? We can just dive right into it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so thanks for having me, first of all. Um, so I'm Rob Mack. I'm happiness coach, um, a published author, a TV personality and a producer, and um, also like a recovering unhappy person, a recovering uh, suicidal person. I was suicidal for a large period of my life. Um, and that's probably what I um, identify most with in some ways, because the work I do now is really all about happiness. Oh, um, thank you for sharing that. I think um, one of the things I like is that you share your story about suicide in a way that a lot of people can understand. And also it's something I think that people don't talk about very much. And so then people who have suicidal thoughts probably feel really alone. And that is um, something I think is really important, especially right now in the time that we're in when we record this. Um, I am sure when people hear this, like he's a happiness coach and he wrote a book and he did this and he did this. And it's like already like, how do you do all the things? Um, and so I think we probably should start a little bit at the beginning. Like what when you were, um, when you were suicidal, obviously... That didn't happen, thank goodness, because we're here today to hear your story. Um, what prompted you to become a happiness coach or like what happened in between those two things? Yeah, it's such a great question. So I don't know about a lot of people, but I felt like I was born really unhappy. Like I was the most miserable kid <laughs> in the world um, for seemingly no good reason. I just felt like I was wired that way. Uh, my first memories were being very unhappy, uh, really stressed out, anxious, self-loathing. Um, I always thought I'd grow out of that, you know, as I got older and I wanted to be a professional basketball player. And if that ever happened, I thought that would solve it for me. And I knew if I had some friends, maybe a girlfriend, even at some point that I would grow out of my unhappiness, but it didn't happen, at least not right away. And then not in that way, as I got older, actually it got worse. And I got to a place where I was actively contemplating killing myself every single day, multiple times a day. Um, and it was overwhelming at some point. I eventually decided um, to do something about it. So I did a little research. I basically decided that I was going to slash my wrist because that's what I had access to. I had access to a knife. Um, so I went to the kitchen. I got a kitchen knife and I um, rammed it into my wrist. You know, the one thing about suicide and wanting to kill yourself is that you're trying to escape the pain. So I didn't really love the idea of more physical pain. Um, and so I still have the test marks to this day, but I was very serious about killing myself. Something very strange and unpredictable happened in that moment though. You know, as I sort of dug this knife into my wrist without any explainable 
reason, I started to just feel this inexplicable joy and peace just sort of wash over me. And that was extraordinarily unexpected, unpredictable. And I didn't really, I couldn't process that really. So at the time I was like, what am I gonna do with this? I should maybe just postpone the suicide thing. Maybe I'll postpone it for like an hour. And now it's pretty laughable, you know, because an hour doesn't seem like that long. And to be quite honest with you, even at that time, I wasn't committed to an entire hour. I thought, well, maybe it'll be 15 minutes, might be 15 seconds, but I'll do a little research. And so I started doing a little research. I discovered a lot of things in that period of time, but mostly I wasn't alone. And second of all, lots of folks have, who were smarter than me had dug their way out of this dark, deep, depressive hole. So in any case, I started applying all the research um, that I was in all the things I was learning. I started keeping a journal, uh, just sort of things that were working for me in terms of improving my happiness. And that journal eventually became a book, um, kind of reluctantly. I never set out to write a book. Um, but yeah, lo and behold, my life just started to turn around when I prioritized happiness. And before long, it kind of became a profession, which is interesting. I, I think it's, I love how professions happen upon us. I think it's tr- like my, me being a Pilates teacher, I thought it was going to be a hobby. So that was paying for my very expensive Pilates habit. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, then it happened upon me in a, um, in a way. And I, it's um, when I hear your story, I mean, I'm sure many people listening, there's going to be these there's so many thoughts that come through your head and obvious, and I'm so grateful that you didn't, I'm sure everyone in your life is so grateful that you didn't go through with it. And, the, and, and I do them. hear, <laughs> I do, I know, I know, right. I know. But I hear like, you know, I, I, I hear the negotiation with yourself. And I think that even if you aren't someone who's ever been suicidal, we negotiate with ourselves all the time. We negotiate with ourselves over, oh, we're going to get the dessert in an hour. No, I'll just wait 15 minutes. Like there are negotiations happening in our brain all day long. And, um, and those, those negotiations put our choices and we are constantly making them. And I, I think it's so fascinating, um, that you're, that you felt joy for a moment. It was just enough to get you to think and, um, and act on that thought, which is something that a lot of people don't do. And I want to go back to your book because I'm sure a lot of people are like, wait, what's the book? So I'm going to ask the question, like, what's the name of the book? How can they find it? So we can just get that out of their head right now. Yeah, for sure. So the book is called Happiness from the Inside Out, The Art and Science of Fulfillment. Uh, Vanessa Williams, um, the actress and singer, wrote the forward to the book. Um, she's a good friend, a friend of mine. You can find the book everywhere great books are sold, including Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Um, but yeah, initially it just started out as me tracking happiness habits. Um, over time, it became more about the clients that I was, you know, working with and the things that were working for them as well. Um, but yeah, it's part story, but it's really, you know, eight tried and true principles for inc- increasing and improving not just the happiness of your life, but also the success of your life. Because the one thing we know from the field of positive psychology is that when you become happier, you increase the authentic and effortless success of your life. So your actual circumstances and conditions improve on their own seemingly as a result of prioritizing happiness. Yeah. I, I, I mean, obviously the science agrees with my opinion, which is just like, yes, that's so true. Cause I, I talk to people a lot about like, whatever you believe to be true is what you'll see evidence for. So if you believe your life is unhappy, you're going to see all the evidence that just proves you to be completely correct versus people who are like, see their life as more happier or the glass is more full. They're seeing all the different things that did happen that were really good. And I have a coaching group and I have a rule. You are allowed to vent in a channel. There's a, it's a Slack group and they're allowed to write like, I need a moment. They can like 
just vent it out. But there's a rule. They have to then go share a win because never in a day do you not have both. Like there's always something else to look at. And so I imagine that with your journaling, like you're just tracking those good things. And whenever we track anything, we see the, we actually like, there's a, there's a saying in the business world about like what you track, you actually manage or something like that. It's more, it's more wordly than I am. But um, I think that's so cool because I do believe that a lot of people have a lot more good happening to them, even right now, even if they're listening, going, no, Leslie, you don't understand. I lost my business. I lost this person in my life doing this last year. And I think um, there's still good stuff happening. Well, yeah, you're alive, right? I mean, that in that of itself, I mean, it, there are infinite, countless things that are required in order for you to continue to stay alive. And, and if on top of that, you're also healthy. On top of that, you happen to have a roof over your head and running water and all these things. And yes, don't get me wrong. I totally understand how difficult life is. And the brain doesn't always make it that easy to be happy. I mean, the brain is really wired to help you survive. If you survive, the chances of being happy are a lot higher than if you don't, right? And so, you know, we've got these biases built into the brain that make it a little difficult to be happy. So we've got a negativity bias built in, which requires that we have about five positive experiences, or at least five positive recognitions for every one negative, right? And so things like that, you've got a confirmation bias, you spoke there a little bit about that, also selective attention, selective perception. But the whole point is that you get more of what you focus on, right? And what you appreciate, appreciates and increases in value. And so the challenging opportunity in uh, the world today is to focus in very intentional ways, right? In ways that will actually improve or increase your happiness. Yeah. Oh, that's um, so there it is. The appreciate appreciates. That's the word I the phrase I was looking for. Thank you, Rob, for being here for that. Um I, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I um I I know that you now live in you now live in Santa Monica and uh, but you didn't always. You were in Miami for some time. And what um I'd love to hear more about your experience in Miami and then moving to LA and just kind of what what brought that about? What was the impetus? Totally. So I came out of undergrad. I went to undergrad in Philadelphia at Swarthmore, came out, had no idea what I wanted to do. All the smart kids were interviewing with consulting companies. I had no idea what consulting was, but I just knew the smart kids were doing it. So I should probably do it too. <laughs> so I ended up getting a job with a consulting company. I did that for five years. And after that management consulting work, I the entire time, I didn't love the job. I love the people, but I honestly really didn't love the job. I didn't love living in Philadelphia. It's a great city, but it was cold. I was, you know, suffering from seasonal affective disorder, the whole nine, right? My husband's from Philly. So oh, okay. we go there at Christmas and I'm like, how long are we here? Like, I'm like <laughs> yes. a California girl. Like I just, I need some sun. <laughs> yeah. And the same way. I need my vitamin D. I need the sun. I need the beach ideally. So at some point in time, I decided to go back to business school. And, you know, part of that was I just wanted to be in Miami and I wanted to find a good reason for the company to let me work from a virtual office in Miami, whatever. I just wanted to be in the sunshine. So eventually that happened, but along the way, you know, I um, decided I wanted to do consulting work and I was without work for a period of time. You know, I was going back to business school and trying to pay for that. And Miami's not cheap either. And I was walking, no, no it's walking along Lincoln road one day thinking, what am I going to do with my life? I got to figure this out. And I ran into just a rant. There was a random guy walking along the road. He said, Hey, you ever modeled before? And I'm like, Definitely not me. Like you definitely have the wrong person. I know I'm the ugliest person in the world. I know I'm, you know, not the model type. And uh, a week later, the same thing happened again with someone different. So I eventually decided to go into the, you know, one of the agencies. And I started this entire career for 10 years in entertainment. You know, I was working as a model and as an actor. And um, along the way, I was meeting some people in that space. 
but mostly the entire time, I was really focused on what I wanted to do when I grew up. You know, I really was trying to discover what my purpose was. Um, and it's just so interesting that I couldn't get away from this obsession with happiness. I didn't know there was a profession called happiness coaching or anything like that. And then over time, I found this program at University of Pennsylvania. It's a master's in applied positive psychology program. It's really the study and science of what makes life worth living. And I, you know, entered into that program, graduated from that program and opened my private practice. Amazing. So did you eventually, is that when you moved to LA? Because did yeah. you go back to Philly for that degree? Uh, so thankfully, it was an executive program. So I just flew in for the weekends, like once a month. It was ideal. Very expensive, but worth it. Um, so yeah, I couldn't, I don't think I could move back to Philadelphia, though I love the people there. Great city. Um, you know, so what happened with the LA thing is I had done like three different stints in LA, once with a girlfriend, once with my brother, um, once on my own, and it never stuck. And so at some point I just surrendered this whole LA thing. Like, you know, maybe LA isn't for me. It doesn't seem like it ever works out. And then one day I got a phone call um, from a production company and they were working on a TV show for E. And so they said, hey, Rob, you know, uh, we know that you do kind of this, you know, a little bit of relationship work. And would you be interested in doing this show called Famously Single? And uh, you'd be a dating and relationship coach. And I said, you know, at that time, I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't think I really want to do that, honestly. I, I chased the TV for a little while. I just wanted to be like help people genuinely. Um, but they convinced me. They said, oh, you can just, you can help people. We'll film it. It'll be fine. So that's what brought me to LA. We did two seasons of that. And then I moved to LA. Cool. Um, I have to, so y'all, this is really funny because you, if you've never been in like Miami, New York, LA, and you hear about people who just get stopped in the streets and you're like, I would never talk to that person. There is something about affirmation that makes you stop when someone's like, have you ever thought about doing this? And you're like, Oh my God, no, we have the wrong person, but it happened. So I did a brief, um, cause I lived in LA and I actually worked with a playlist instructor in West Hollywood. So like, just like every model walking up the high end gym that I was working at and teaching at. And I not only ended up with a commercial acting co a commercial acting agent, I ended up with a modeling agent. And then all of us, like, it's crazy. It, Y'all, it just keeps happening. And similar to you, I didn't actually know that that was what I wanted to do. I also was like, do I want to be a Pilates instructor when I grew up? Like, I, I didn't really know. Like, I was enjoying it and I was doing projects. Um, and I was trying things out. I was really testing things and trying to be something and figure out if that was the thing. And so I was like, well, I may as well be this. I may as well just see what this is like. And I I swear, like, even if it sounds like a left turn in your career to do something like that, it's exactly what you're supposed to do because it changed It changed the trajectory of everything. Like, it made it so it's easy for me to do YouTube videos. It made it so it's easy for me to talk to strangers or like just try on things and, and be a little braver. You don't need to see the whole staircase. You just need to see the next step. And that's huge for me because when I was in Philadelphia, I mean, I was reading every book I could possibly find on what should you do with your life? What should you do with your career? And I had no idea and I wasn't getting any closer. In fact, it felt like I was getting further away. And the only thing I knew for sure is I love sunshine. I love the idea of Miami, right? And that led me to Miami. And it didn't seem like it was at all related to anything professional. In fact, it felt like it was probably going to get in the way of me doing you know, or being successful professionally, but it led to the next thing. And so to your point, and I love what you're saying there, you're absolutely right about that. You don't need to see the perfect vision of how your life's going to work out. If you feel an inkling inside of something that you want to do that might be interesting to you, that might be fun, just take a step in that direction. And you find that the other steps sort of appear, you know, after you've taken that first step. Yeah. Oh, that is, that is so true. Um, it's that, uh, that there's that, 
there'll always be a little anxiety and fear. I'm sure you felt it like, am I doing the right thing when I move here? But all you could see is like, well, this is the first step. I'm going to take that and see what it is. And when you take that first action, everyone, it really does like it, it gets the fear out of the way and it makes the fear feel a little smaller. Cause once you start the wheels in motion, clarity comes, meaning the second step and the third step, or just the opportunity to look at different staircases. And, um, and that you can't get that from thinking things through. And I see so many people, I just got off a group coaching call and someone was like, okay, so how do I do this? And I was like, well, I can probably give you literally every step because I've done what you're asking for, but, (laughs) but that's overwhelming. So even if I gave you the staircase, you won't even do the thing because now you know too much <laughs> and it's going to sound really, really like too much work. So here's your first step. This is what your first thing is to do. And I, I think people underestimate the power of that first step. You nailed it. I mean, action cures anxiety often, right? I mean, you've got to bench test things. Like that was the discovery with me. I was like, am I going to like Miami or not? Bench test it. Go to Miami and enjoy yourself for a week or a month or a year and see how it goes. You can always move back or whatever it is. And so you have to get experience. Sometimes experience is the only explanation. It's the best explanation. And we sometimes try too hard to figure out things in our head. Yeah. Yeah. Our head is such a funny, it's, it's so funny because in inside your head, good things, bad, everything takes up a little bit too much, much space. And it's, it gets very muddled. And it's like, I'm always like, if you, I just tell people, if you just say it out loud, when you just say out loud, what your fear is, it all of a sudden sounds a little funny. You're like, really? That's what I'm afraid of right now. So true. When you hear it out loud, it suddenly puts it all in perspective. And you make a great point there too, Leslie. And I just, that's why I love conversation with you. Like the mind is very rarely, if ever, decisive. It's always divisive. You know, the mind is a place of dissonance. Very rarely is a place of consonance, right? And so a lot of the work for me has been to quiet the mind so I can slip more deeply into the heart and then come from a much more intuitive, deeper knowing place. Um, but it does require you to get some of those thoughts out or at least to let them go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, you go, you said it already. It was that like our, our, our brain's job, our body's job is to keep us alive. So it's going to probably challenge every thought you have with like, what could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not exactly ready to go. Here's what can go right. When you go that way, here's the best thing that's going to happen. You know, that does take, that takes practice. That's right. And evolutionarily that wouldn't have, been very adaptive, right? Wouldn't have served you very well. It's like, eh, just go out, you know, for a stroll right now at midnight and, you know, in the middle of the woods, don't worry about it. <laughs> like, you know, it had, had you know, the, the challenge, of course, now and the opportunity now is that, um, you know, lots of these um, sort of biases and uh, some of the heuristics that the brain uses, you know, they've, um, they're, they're no longer as valuable or as useful as they often were before, right? So we have to, you know, use this other function of the brain, which is the prefrontal cortex to kind of um, think our way through things um, in a much more relaxed, but clear way. I know how much you're enjoying this show. Me too. If you're looking to make more time for you and have more energy, get my free 30 minutes Pilates class at onlinepilatesclasses.com slash be it pod. If you're new here or haven't done this yet, this is a great way to start making yourself a priority. So head over to onlinepilatesclasses.com slash B-E-I-T-P-O-D. Now back to the show. I want to go back to, so you didn't know what a happiness coach was. So when did you hear that there was such a thing as a happiness coach? And like, or when did you at least start calling yourself one? Yeah. So it's such a great question. I'm not sure I ever really did hear of happiness coaching being a thing. I just remember coming, having this insight and I'm I'm sure that somebody else facilitated this insight, but the insight was kind of like, what would you do not 
only for free, but what would you pay someone else to let you do? Like, what are you doing already that you'd love to do more of, that you'd love, you know, that you would even pay someone else to let you do? And I thought, well, I like talking to people about psychology and spirituality, a little bit of business here and there, but mostly around happiness and effortless success. And I thought, well, that'd be sure nice to get folks to pay me to have those conversations, right? And so over time, I started to think, well, it's really just happiness that I love helping people with. So I guess I'm a happiness coach. And I really struggled with like the terminology around it. But then I discovered Richard Carlson, who was the author of Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. He kind of was like a stress consultant, happiness coach. And then I discovered Robert Holden. He was a happiness coach. So over time, it sort of, you know, you start to see more of what you look for in a way. Um, so it was kind of confirmed or validated for me. Oh, I love, I love that. I, I, I grew up, I had a mom who I don't know that she was born happy either. She like, we listened to a lot of like Stuart Smalley, you know, (laughs) (laughs) in my book, I talk about Stuart Smalley in my book. Yeah. 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 And I just remember being this kid, like, okay, you know, you're smart. You're important. Like all people like me, like (laughs) all these things. So anyway, I mean, if you are listening to this and you don't know who that is, look them up because you'll be like, oh, so many, like all these people's names, you've probably seen their stuff at some point and just maybe someone else quoted it and they're like, that's amazing. It resonated with you. Um, yeah, I think I, I want, like when you said, it, I didn't know who, like how it came on, I call myself happiness coach. And then you start to see things. I think a lot of people get stuck on like, well, what does that make me? And like, where do I, like, what is my title for that? And I remember even when I started my business, people were calling me the CEO of my business. And I'm like, I'm the CEO of my business. What does that even mean? Like people will put titles on you if you don't like get a title on yourself. So like <laughs> you gotta, that's probably the, one of the first steps I was like, I have to like come up with something. And, um, and, and so, you know, I called when I started calling myself a Pilates instructor, even that felt so weird. It felt so weird to call myself that because there was this part of me that was like waiting for someone to deem me that, like, I think we tend to go through life waiting for someone to deem us, whatever it is we want to be. And, and, um, I I'm going to, I'm going to guess, but maybe I could be wrong. Like you didn't wait for someone to deem you the happiness coach. Like you called yourself that. Yeah, no, I mean, I was, yeah. Cause, because I was the only person I knew of who was even talking about happiness in the obsessive compulsive way that I was <laughs> and reading every book I get my hands on. So I was like, no, this is what I am. Like, and yes, it does feel weird. And for part of that is because it's not familiar. Another part of that is sometimes we suffer with imposter syndrome, right? But a third part mm-hmm. of that is that ultimately all definition is somewhat limiting, right? Cause we don't really, any of us, we don't really fit into a box. And so when you call yourself a happiness coach, you're like, well, but I'm also talking a little bit about success, a little bit about executive presence or confidence or charisma, or, you know, these other things, love, dating relationships. So it can always feel a little uncomfortable because ultimately you're so much bigger than that. Um, but sometimes you think you're so much smaller than that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think if someone is listening, you're like waiting for someone to tell you what you are. I, I highly recommend you give yourself your own title. You can make it up whatever you want. I promise you it's better that way. And you, I think we all will outgrow some things to an extent because we are ever changing. And so, you know, and, and it's really simple. You just, you just put a new title on the business card. Like you just go into Canva and you just edit. <laughs> no, totally. And it doesn't have to be just one. I mean, depending on who I talk to, I call myself different things, right? So the executives in my private practice, I'm an executive coach. For you know the athletes, I might be a peak performance coach. You know, but for the everyday people who just care mostly about happiness, I'm a happiness coach. But really, it's the same thing. We're just using different words, different language. But you don't have to stick to one thing forever, and you don't only have to stick to one thing even for now. 
Yeah. That is the coolest thing that um, I, you know, my parents have, they always had one job, right? Like my mom has been a school teacher since she started being a school teacher somewhere in my, my childhood. And that's what she still is. And my dad worked for the post office, which you can't get more of like, this is your job until you get a pension. And he did not get a gold watch. And it was the whole thing. Right. So, you know, but I, so when I went to, I went to college for communications and interpersonal organizational, and I didn't even, I was like, I don't want to go to grad school. I don't want to write another paper I'm over this. So I started working in retail, didn't know what I was going to be. And I loved it. And I had so much fun, but I, when some, when I met someone and they're like, well, you should teach Pilates. And I was like, I could do that. Like in my mind, because of what I saw, and that's what we, people have to be really careful. If you only saw your parents do one thing their whole life, then you start to think that that's it. Like you don't see that you can, you don't see that there's other possibilities. And now, you know, since someone just like opened up that door and I think like being aware of people suggesting things, like you were aware of someone, you should be a model. And it's like, no, no, no. And it happens again. You're like, well, maybe like, maybe I should try this twice in one week, you know? Um, and so I, I think it's really important that we, we don't have, we can change, we can grow, we can evolve. And, and now we live in a world that's so much more possible, right? It's not weird to like switch jobs after a couple of years. In fact, it's celebrated. It's celebrated, right? I mean, and particularly these days, you know, a lot of the folks that I work with in my private practice, you know, even if they stay in the same industry or the same space in general, they are encouraged actually to change jobs after every three, four years, right? It's a thing now. So absolutely, you know, I think um, part of the, you know, temptation for all of us is to impose these limitations on ourselves and then spend our lives trying to overcome these limitations. But most, all of it self-imposed. Yes, did we hear from somebody else? Did maybe we inherit from somebody else? Sure. But every day that we choose um, those limitations, it's our responsibility, but it's also within our power to make a different decision. Yeah, I love it. So I have a question and and maybe there isn't, but I'm just wondering, is there is there a word or a sign, like a statement that someone might be saying that is a, like a sign of a limitation? Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, is that clear? Yes, totally. So I'm, I'm going to say something very strong and I can dilute it down, but um, every thought is limited. So we talk about limiting beliefs, but every belief is limited to the extent of this belief, right? Every, every, every single one, there's no exception to that rule. And so ultimately the limitless state is one that is thoughtless, that's without thought, right? So every way in which you describe yourself or define yourself, you're actually limiting yourself, period. So that's the way to know. Am I thinking, okay, I'm limiting myself in some way. Now, there are much less limiting thoughts than others, right? And so generally anything that sounds, I would, I would say a better way to vet it for yourself is how does it feel when you say it, right? Because we can all say the same thing, but we all feel a little differently based on um, you know, our experiences and what we sort of imagine for ourselves and how we see ourselves. And so I'd say you can vet your thoughts better by how they feel than what they sound like. Um, so if the thought doesn't feel inspiring, enlivening, uh, doesn't make you feel happy to be alive, it's probably a limiting thought. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So um, I sometimes people at wonder, like someone listening might be thinking, how do I know I should quit something? Right. And that's what your what your thought, your statement just came to. And I remember Brad and I were working on this project and he, I was really frustrated with it. I was crying. I was burnt out because I was trying to, you know, do as a side hustle while I was working because I needed to make the money to make it happen. And so I was doing, I was doing this job and this project of mine. And he was like, well, let's just quit it. Just quit it. Like if it's making you cry, just quit. And the feeling that came over me was regret and frustration and anger. Like that was not the answer. And so while I didn't know, 
how I was going to make it work. I knew based on the feeling in my body that that was the wrong thing to do. Like it didn't make me feel relieved. Like it, it, if I, if I knew that it was the right answer, I would have felt relieved. Okay. I'll just quit. But that was not, that wasn't it. So I think that, I think that's such a great thing. I think we forget that our body is really telling us a lot of things all day long. Oh, the body is so much wiser than the brain is. It's older than the brain is, you know, right? So, so you're absolutely right about that. If you ever have questions or doubts about what you think or believe, just check the body. The body will tell you, you know, generally if it feels like relief or not. So you absolutely nailed it. I mean, and that's the challenge. That's the challenge with, you know, and, and why we can't really give people like a guidebook or a rule book and say, these are the limiting, these are the most limiting thoughts. Because for some people, that would have been the perfect answer. Quit. Yes, they feel relief. They want to just go running, you know, and uh, into the sunset. They would have loved it. But for you, it was a very different response. And that there was a deep knowing in that. So I agree with you there. And I've had the same experience in my own life. Like, you know, there have been opportunities for me where it's like, oh, you can get paid this amount of money to work this corporate job. And I'm like, ah, kill me now. I'm good. <laughs> I'm going to pass on that. But I, I love the idea for, you know, the opportunity for somebody else. So you're absolutely right. I think we want to reach for feelings of relief ultimately. Um, and that doesn't mean there aren't going to be moments that are uncomfortable that you still might want to lean into, but it's such a personal thing. It's very hard for somebody outside of you to tell you what's right for you. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest part because everyone's listening like, okay, tell me what I'm, when I say this, this is the thing that's, that's, what's holding me back or when I, and, and it's just, you, it takes so much personal knowing and just like checking in with yourself. And I think that takes so much work because I think a lot of people are scared of what I think they know the answer and they're just scared of it. Like it's just scary to do. Well, absolutely. And it's so hard to hear your heart when your mind is so noisy, right? If you're listening to the mind and the mouth, the mind shouts and it pretends to know so much, but it actually knows so little, the heart just speaks in a whisper and it knows everything, but you think that it knows nothing. So that's what any of these practices about, I mean, yoga or mindfulness or meditation or prayer or visualization, ultimately it's about quieting your mind ideally long enough and deep enough that you can hear this deeper intuitive all-knowing presence, right? And so um, I love what you're saying there and it's um, a little hard to figure it out when you're only living your life through your mind and through your thoughts. Yeah, so I mean, obviously because of your journal that led to a book, you would tell people to journal. Yes. Yes. I love journaling. And I would say, you know, depending on where you are, if you're just starting out in this journey, journaling, whatever, just free association is great. Whatever you're thinking and feeling is fine. Ultimately though, you want to, you want to eventually get to a place where you're journaling or focusing on that, which you love about life, about other people, and particularly about yourself. Um, that'll help to rewire your brain to make happiness and love and peace much less effortful and much more automatic. Yeah, I this is I love that you start with the free association because here's the deal, y'all. You'll if you don't know me already, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I definitely the ing is there. We're good. <laughs> I'm also a recovering overachiever. So there's like there's a couple little things in there, and I remember my my therapist was like it was right after the pandemic started, and I um and I so I was having a meeting with her, and she said, well, I think you just need a journal, and I was like, okay, I can do that. And then I went back the next week and I'm like, so I didn't journal because I have a journal and it's sitting here. And actually, let me show you all the journals I've purchased in the last 10 years. So I have all these pretty journals and they're all empty because I actually don't know how to journal. Like, what do you journal? Right. And she, and she, and she started laughing. She's like, of course, because you have a perfectionist problem. And just so you know, there's no right way. And I'm like, but okay, thank you for that. I need direction. I need a direction. So she had me do morning pages. And I said, I've heard of morning pages. I just don't have time to read that book. I don't want to read the book. And she said, you don't have to read the book. 
This is what you're going to do. You're going to grab a legal pad of paper. As soon as you get up in the morning, you're going to write until you've hit three pages and then don't reread it. And y'all, if you have, if you're like listening in, you're like, thanks for the journaling tip again. <laughs> Before, if you can't get to the part where you do like really intention journaling, where you're like looking at gratitudes, looking at wins, looking at what's going really well, trust me, the free writing on three pages first thing in the morning. You you become so aware of the thoughts that you're not actually paying attention to. It's like that meditation you're talking about. And I really discovered so much within two weeks of it. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing. I still do it every morning. It's my favorite thing. Usually it starts with, I hate the mornings. Oh my God. And I'm a morning person, but who wants to wake up? No one. So I I just highly recommend anyone who's who's really stuck on like, what do I journal about? Just write for three pages and you will figure it out. I love that so much. And you're so right about that. And, you know, there's a great metaphor I think about sometimes, like most of us are so lost in our thinking every day. And most of that thinking is redundant. It's negative. It's super stressful. Okay. We're so lost in it. It's kind of like being in a movie and you're just so caught up in this like horror flick. You're just so into it. You're so freaked out the entire time that you forget it's actually a movie that are just fake characters. It's a fake plot. It's all made up. We forget that. And part of what journey allows you to do is step back a little bit from that movie and remember you're actually in a movie theater and you can step out of the movie theater if you want you can turn off the projector you can maybe redo the scenes whatever it is that you want so that's the beauty and power of journaling to some extent is that you get to become sort of this non-judgmental observer or witness of the crazy thoughts that you often have and then at some point you can make a different decision or a different choice when it comes to any of those thoughts amazing amazing and I am the person who screams in a movie because I'm like living the movie. I'm like with them. So (laughs) films are not around here because it's like, I I may as well be there. Like, turn around. I can't do it. But I, you, that's so true. It's like the journaling does let you do that. Thank you for sharing that. I think that it's something that's an easy thing for people to do right now to really help them figure out what they, their body already is trying to tell them. Um, I'm really into that. So, um, before we like wrap this up, I'm really enjoying this. I hope everyone's having so much fun learning everything. Um, where can people find you just so that they can start? Cause they're already going to want to learn more from you. I so appreciate and adore you. I mean, I mean that. Thank you so much, not just for who you are, but for what you do. Just amazing. Um, so you can find me at coachrobmack.com. That's my website. You can also find me on most social media platforms, but probably most consistently Instagram at Rob Mac, M-A-C-K official. Yeah, I love it. I have a friend who's also an official at the end. I'm like, I should do that. I want to be, I'm official. <laughs> yeah. Well, I knew when, right in the beginning when it's like, I knew when they had to come up with that check, I'm like, we're going to all be chasing this check mark thing now. And I was like, I'm just going to make it official. I don't need the check mark. I'm declaring it for myself. <laughs> so that is the ultimate be it till you see it. You're like, I don't even need the check mark. I am already, affi- I'm officially yeah. checked. That's awesome. Yeah, I love I'm, I'm going to outsource this self-approval thing. You know, yeah. That's exciting. I mean, that's so in line with what you do. And it's it's really funny. I mean, it's people do get too caught up. There's always gonna be something we're chasing. I think that's the nature of what the world wants us is if we're so busy chasing something that's like who cares who cares what the check mark is? Someone has a check mark and I saw four posts. I'm like, well, obviously you can buy that then. Cause like, how did you get that with the four posts? <laughs> you nailed it. And you're right about this too, which is a really profound point. I just want to highlight what you said because it was so profound. I want people to hear it. Like you don't want to spend this very short life chasing temporary things that there's a huge danger in that. And actually, if you can turn it around, if you can stand, you can just prioritize like this happiness that's on the inside, you'll find 
that the successful things that you're after, whether it's health or relationships or money or more recognition, it shows up with so much less energy, time, and effort. And so that's the one thing I just want to remind folks of because that's a point you made, a remark you made. Yeah. Um, thank you for pointing that out. I, I love when like things can be repeated because some people need to hear it in different ways. And it's so true. Um, they, some people call it a flow state, you know, that you get in there and it's the, I, I've heard of other things like the doors are closing. And then when you're on it, the doors keep opening. And I know people who are listening to me for like, I'm just hitting closed doors. And I'm just like, I promise you, I promise you, it's just because it's part of the process you've got to go on. Like you've got those doors are closing on for a reason. And then there will be plenty of doors opening and it will, it will happen once you probably stop chasing what you think you're supposed to be doing and start asking your body the questions that it really should be doing. You gotta knock on that inner door. That inner door is the one you gotta knock on. All those outer doors. When you when you prioritize knocking on the outer doors, you just postpone ultimately where the greatest happiness and the greatest success is found. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, so before I let you go. Um, I really like people to have tangible takeaways. I mean, we've nailed several already. Um, so the journaling one is big, but what is something as hip that you can give people that they could take away now that they could be it? So something bold, executable, something to find that intrinsic motivation or something targetable can be one, can be four. What would you tell people? Number one, make happiness the most important goal in your entire life. Like if you can prioritize that, I promise you that everything else will take care of itself. So that, that's number one. Number two is recognize that happiness is always inside and it can be found first through positive thinking or really telling a better feeling story based in truth about everything and everybody in your life. And secondly, by not thinking at all, ultimately where we're all heading is to simply being the peace and the love and the happiness that we ultimately want to experience the future, being it now. And every time you have a moment when you're not lost in thought and you're just breathing in the moment, and you're not trying to figure out the future and you're not reminiscing about the past and you're just deeply present, you already are being the happiness that you're ultimately chasing through these other people and these other things. And so that's the final thing I'll say is try not to route your happiness through other people, places, and things, but instead go directly to the source for it. And you can do that both through positive thinking on one hand, that's putting it simply, and not thinking on the other. Amazing. Obviously, we could talk for hours. We'll have to have you back for sure. Like, I'm just, this is a conversation to keep going. And um, I'm, I'm so grateful for you. I really, really am. So thank you for being here, Rob. Everyone follow him. Uh, screenshot this podcast. Tag us both on Instagram with your takeaways. So we can see what you got out of this. And we can share um, what you posted with um, those who are following us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll see you soon. See you soon. episode of the be it till you see it podcast one thing that would help both myself and future listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a review and follow or subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcast also make sure to introduce yourself over at the be it pod on instagram i would love to know more about you share this episode with whoever you think needs to hear it help us and others be it till you see it have an awesome day See It is a production of As the Crows Fly Media. 
It's written, produced, filmed, and recorded by your host, Leslie Logan, and me, Brad Kroll. Kevin and Bell at Desenio handle all of our audio editing and some social media content. Our theme music is by Ali at Apex Production Music, and our branding by designer and artist Gianfranco Cioffi. Special thanks to our designer, Jaira Mondal, for creating all of our visuals, which you can't see because this is a podcast, and our digital producer, Jay Pedroso, for editing all the video each week so you can. And to Meredith Kroll for keeping us all on point and on time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.